Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. Got a couple extra verses printed there in the bulletin on the next page. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then 10 through 20. Uh, last week, um, so we looked at the, the, the end of chapter 14, the beginning of chapter 15. We considered uh, the, the commitment that the Pharisees had to their religious traditions uh, as a means of pretending righteousness. And it was a commitment that overrode their uh, commitment to the scriptures. They insisted on you know, ceremonial hand-washing before eating as a way of being clean, a way of being clean in God's sight. Uh, rather than let God's word define their relationship to God, they embraced their own ideas, their own rules, and they condemned others for not living up to their own standards. Uh, even though those invented standards meant actually what they were doing is disobeying God. They were, they were rejecting God, and that in fact they were unrighteous. Pretending to be righteous, they were actually unrighteous. <clears throat> so Jesus exposes <clears throat> this kind of hypocrisy, and he offers himself, he offers his own true righteousness, his own obedience, his own relationship with God as the only true alternative, the only solution for our self-righteousness. Jesus then goes on to address the specific idea of ceremonial cleansing as it uh, provides him now with this opportunity to talk about you know, our misconceptions of religious purity and uh, to talk about what true defilement is. So his teaching here demands a radical change in our approach to religion altogether. It's something that, uh, that deeply offends very religious people uh, and even his own disciples have difficulty understanding it because there's something wrong with our hearts at the very core of who we are. That's how drastic the problem is. That's the level on which we need change, and that's what Jesus came to do for us. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, it's common for all people everywhere uh, to refuse to hear you, to fail to hear you. So we ask that you would renew us by your spirit as we consider your word so that we would hear with faith and with understanding for the sake of our relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So starting in verse 1 and 2, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And then to verse 10, <clears throat> And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, 
theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise Praise be to you, O Christ. So this hand-washing that the Pharisees required was merely a tradition that they had invented. But, uh, but God had taught his people about things like cleanness and uncleanness and cleansings, ceremonial washings. So uh, in Leviticus 10, Yahweh had told Aaron, the high priest, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you're to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. And God declared to his people, you can see this in Leviticus 10 and 11, and throughout uh, Leviticus in many places, God declared to his people, you know, things like what animals they were to consider clean or unclean. What activities and objects and bodily fluids they were to consider clean and unclean and so forth. So God had told his people that doing certain things, touching certain things, eating certain things would make them ceremonially unclean. And God told his people how they could become clean again. Sometimes it was it was a matter of ritual cleansing. Sometimes it was a matter of making sacrifices. Sometimes it was simply a matter of time, like just waiting until evening. We can't get into all the specifics right now, but God was always the one who defined these things specifically for his people. And that's the thing that matters. God is the one who defined these things. We're not meant to come up with our own ideas about defilement and cleansing. We're meant to hear what God says, to learn from what God teaches us. And here, Jesus is teaching his people about cleanness and uncleanness. He's taking up the same authority and, and regarding the same themes that God himself addresses. So Jesus is acting in the role of God himself. That's what he's doing here. He's acting in the role of God himself. He's correcting our misunderstandings about spiritual defilement. And he's clarifying what God intended to teach us by these things. He's saying that when God gave us the clean laws, that's how they're commonly referred to, certain ceremonial laws like this, about what's clean and unclean. When God gave us the clean laws, he was using them as a teaching tool to teach us about who we are and to teach us about who he is and to teach us about how we are to relate to him, ultimately in Jesus Christ. So God's people misunderstood what he was teaching, and in their misconception of cleanliness and, and uncleanness, they, they embellished and elaborated and came up with traditions like this hand-washing. They thought that there was something intrinsically unclean about the things they were supposed to avoid doing or touching or eating. They thought, well, if you're you know, not supposed to eat pig, must be something's wrong with pig. Right? Um, but that, that's missing the point. They're missing the point that they were to consider these things unclean because God said so. That's the emphasis. Clean laws were given so they might learn that God's word determines our relationship with him. 
just like Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't tell them, you know, don't eat that fruit because there's something wrong with the fruit in and of itself. It's bad for you. That's not what he says. It was wrong for them to eat the fruit simply because God said so. And in the same way, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with eating animals like pigs or shellfish listed there in Leviticus 11. God doesn't tell us not to eat them because they'll make us sick or something. God says in Leviticus 11 that such are unclean to you. Unclean to you is how he always puts it. He was teaching his people that they would be set apart from the world. They'd be holy. They'd be consecrated by their relationship to his word, that they would obey his word for the sole reason that it was his word. Cleanness and uncleanness are matters of our relationship to God. They're not matters of biological contagions or hazardous materials. So God meant for his word to have supreme place in the life of his people in their interaction with the world that he's made. He tells us how to interact with the world that he's made. God declares what is uh, unclean and what is clean. God declares what is holy and what is common. God declares what is set apart for him and what is defiled. God declares to his people how they become unclean and then how they can become clean again. These are not matters of common sense. You don't just look around at the world and say, yep, those animals, unclean, those animals, good, good, right? These are not matters of common sense. These are matters of special revelation. We do not live by common sense. Common sense in a world full of people living in rebellion against God is not good. It's sinful sense. In fact, uh, the word translated unclean or defiled can also be translated just as common. This is the way everybody's doing it, all the sinners. Right? So the world is full of common people, unclean people, people who do not live set apart from the world for a relationship with the holy God. So God was using clean laws to teach his chosen people that if they were to be distinguished from what is unclean or common, if they're going to be set apart from the nations for a relationship with him, it would be because they embraced his word as definitive for their life with God. This is why Jesus talks the way that he does about hand washing and eating. In fact, uh, listen to Mark's account of this, this same event. Mark's account of something Jesus says here. In uh, Mark chapter 7, Jesus said to his disciples, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's commentary on this. Jesus, by saying this, is declaring all foods clean. Mark gives us his commentary. It really helps us to get the right perspective on all this, what Jesus is actually talking about. Yes, God had previously declared lots of things to be unclean to his people and told them to consider themselves unclean through contact with these things, but it's not about the food. It's not about the food, like it has some intrinsic power to make you unclean. Those things are clean now, Jesus says, because it's never about those things, pigs and shellfish and whatnot. It's about whether you listen to God. It's about whether, it's about your heart toward God. So Jesus took those unclean foods off the table, so to speak, 
to get us to understand what the unclean laws, the clean laws, were about all along. The source of uncleanness is not in external objects that somehow might contaminate you. The source of uncleanness is in your own heart. Your heart is a fountain of uncleanness spurting forth all kinds of evil because of your disregard for God's word. And that's a much bigger problem than can be fixed with some ritual cleansing and religious observances. The problem is you at the deepest level. Not just some superficial part of you, your very heart. That's the core. That's the core of who you are, the center of your being. The heart is the deepest part of you where all your thoughts and all your actions and all your words originate. It's the source of your identity, the heart. There is no deeper part of you. There is no truer part of you than your heart. So, some hidden recesses that really define you, you know. This is the hidden recess that really defines you. Your heart is the ultimate definition of who you are, and Jesus says that is where the uncleanness is. That is where the defilement comes from. And this sort of teaching meets resistance. When you tell people who have something wrong with their hearts that there's something wrong with their hearts, they're not going to like it. So Jesus' disciples say, hey, just FYI, the Pharisees were offended by what you said there. Uh, And that's... That's ultimately what's wrong with the Pharisees. They were offended by the teacher. They were offended by the word of Christ. They don't receive the word of God. They reject it. They insist that they have not sinned, that they do God's will, and they reject even the word of God, the judgment of God that says they're not doing God's will, that there's something wrong with them. They insist that there's nothing wrong with them against what God says. They're, they're the most religious people on the planet. And their core problem, the problem in their core, in their heart, is that they don't let the word of God determine their life with God. In being offended by Jesus, <clears throat> in being offended by the words of Jesus, they're simply illustrating the point that Jesus is making, their hearts are unclean. Common sense would say that the Pharisees are the cleanest people, but God reveals them to be defiled at the deepest level. This spiritual defilement is not just a problem for the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. It's a problem for anyone who buys into their very common vision of religion. The disciples themselves seem to think that the Pharisees' opinion matters. They, They really are very religious people. Their opinion must matter. They seem to want to reconcile the religion of the Pharisees with what Jesus is teaching. It's natural for all people as sinners to refuse to accept the word of God as determining our life with God. All our hearts are unclean. All our hearts are spiritually defiled. And the spiritual leadership of very religious people, their influence, is persuasive and it's destructive. So Jesus tells his disciples to disregard them. Entirely. There is no need to be concerned with what they think. There is no need to keep them happy, to appease them, or to reconcile with their approach to religion. They are not part of what God is doing. 
What God is doing is radically different from what they are doing. They are part of the devil's attempt to actually undermine what God is doing. They, they might seem like champions of God's law, but actually they are the most subversive opponents. So Jesus refers back to that parable of the wheat and the weeds, which we looked at uh, a while back in Matthew 13, <clears throat> where, uh, where the enemy sowed poisonous weeds among the good plants of the field. The absolute commitment to the hypocritical belief in their own goodness, the self-righteous religiosity of the Pharisees, is deadly stuff. It's poisonous. They are deceived in their own hearts, and they will deceive any who listen to them, who follow them, so that they too will deceive themselves in their hearts. So Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Father will handle the very religious people. He will uproot them. <clears throat> but again, even his own people have a hard time with this stuff. Peter says, uh, explain the parable to us. It's not that hard to understand, Peter. Maybe you just don't want to hear it. Jesus says, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So what Jesus is talking about here is pretty straightforward. The thing that disqualifies us from being in God's presence, the thing that defiles us, the thing that makes us unclean, polluted, profane, unholy, however you want to call it, the, the thing that makes us just like all the other sinners in the world is our heart. It's the very thing that makes us who we are. In our hearts, in the deepest part of ourselves, we reject the goodness of God and we embrace evil thoughts and actions and words like the ones he lists here. Not a comprehensive list, right? In the core of who we are, we refuse to live by God's word. That's who we are. When Jesus talks about things like murder and adultery and theft and false witness, you can see from the topics and the order of the topics that he's referring to the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> the Ten Words of Yahweh that are meant to shape our love of God and our love of neighbor, meant to shape not just our behaviors, but our very hearts, our, our affections, our allegiances, and the respect and care we have for each other. Jesus says, we don't, we don't break these words by accident. We don't break these words for superficial reasons. We can't blame the circumstances of our lives for making us unclean. We can't blame murder or adultery or theft or lying on things that are external to us. We cannot excuse ourselves by saying, I was tired. I just got caught up in the moment. I don't know what got into me. It's, it's really not like me to do something like that. Jesus says this uncleanness, this rejection of God's word is exactly who we are. The problem is inside us. The problem is us. This is what God was pointing out all along with the clean laws. They're there to show us what we're really like. So <clears throat> Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
I, Yahweh, search the heart. So God knows us better than we can know ourselves. God knows us, and because he loves us, he reveals our own hearts to us. He tells us what uncleanness really is, where it's really located, where it really comes from. And he tells us what makes us clean. He doesn't leave us to the self-deception of our hypocrisy. He makes us to know what the real core problem is in our own hearts. He makes us to know that we need to be saved from our very selves, from the part of ourselves that are deepest down, really making us who we are. We cannot fix ourselves with rules for holy living, strategies for cleanness. We cannot fix ourselves with clean laws. Jesus makes us know that we need our hearts to be cleansed. Our hearts. We need a new heart, a pure heart, spiritually speaking. We need a new core, a new identity, a new self, a new inner being, a new humanity. And that's not something we can do for ourselves. But that's what Jesus came to do for us. This is what Jesus reveals about God because Jesus is God. When Jesus comes to us, he does not come to those who are already clean. He doesn't say, make yourself clean and then I'll accept you. We do not meet the standards. He tells us that. We do not qualify as holy for a relationship with the holy God. Jesus comes to the unclean. But he comes, he actually comes, he comes to do something about our unclean hearts, to cleanse us. When he comes, we learn who we are. We are unclean, and we learn who he is. He is clean, he is holy, he is sanctified, he is utterly set apart for life with God. He is pure in heart, his inner being is perfect. Jesus is the new self, the new humanity that we need for life with God, his heart is the heart that is true to God. In the core of who he is, in the deepest part of his being, in the foundations and fountains of his thoughts and actions and words, Jesus and Jesus alone is pure and clean and right. Because Jesus and Jesus alone allows God's word to define his life in every way. His holiness His righteousness, his consecration, his cleanliness is so pure that nothing can contaminate it. In fact, he's the living water who cleanses what has become unclean. That's something you see in Leviticus. It's like, oh, if you come into contact with a dead pig or something, um, well, that's one thing, but water will clean you. Living water, a fountain of water, is always going to be clean. If that touches the pig, it doesn't matter. It doesn't defile the water. Jesus is the living water who cleanses what has become unclean. When those who are unclean touched Jesus, rather than his becoming unclean through that contact, his cleanness was transferred to them and they were healed. In our hearts... We have become corrupted fountains of all sorts of evil to the ruin of the whole world. In his heart, Jesus is the fountain of life who cleanses us through our relationship with him to the restoration and renewal of the world. The clean one, the holy one, had the desire to come to us, 
He had the plan. He took the initiative. He made the commitment. He came to purify us, to sanctify us through his own life. He did not come just to put us to shame. He did not come even to inspire us to make ourselves clean so that he could tolerate being in our presence. Jesus came to us while we were still unclean. He came to live the holy life on our behalf so that he could be our cleanness. So that he could be our new heart. So that he himself would be our new inner being, our new inner man, humanity. Through his spirit dwelling in us. Paul gets this and he prays for this in Ephesians 3. A familiar prayer if you've been around here for a while. He prays that you would be strengthened with power through God's spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Our heart generates things like murder. Christ's heart generates love. And Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Our heart generates things like adultery and sexual immorality. Christ's heart generates faithfulness. And Christ is our new heart through the Holy Spirit. Our heart generates things like theft. Christ's heart generates sacrificial generosity. Our heart generates things like lying and slander. Christ's heart generates truth. Our heart generates every evil thought. Christ's heart generates only good thoughts, blessed and pure thoughts, and Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Our heart resists and rejects the word of God. Christ's heart embraces the Father's word for his life with God and for ours. Our hearts defile us. His heart cleanses us. Our heart is the problem. His heart is is the solution. It's the answer. It's the salvation we need. So don't be surprised or offended when he reveals your own heart to you. Don't be surprised that such things come from your inner being and would define you. Don't be offended by Jesus that he would tell you such things about yourself. Jesus tells you what is unclean so that he can make you clean. His heart is for you, not against you. Believe it. Receive him as your new heart, your new inner being for life with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we make Paul's prayer our own, that your spirit would strengthen us in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that Christ may dwell down in the very roots of, and foundations and fountains of who we are and make us clean and make us new in his own image. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.